0: Welcome to the Scooter Pod. I'm your host Bobby Howard, broadcasting from a potato at Grand Lake, joined by Jameson Maxwell, Tylee, as always. And uh, folks, we we've kind of wondered how uh, Coach Venables would stick to his you know commitment. You know, would you commit? You commit. No visits. How how he'd stick to his guns? Well, we we we. we kind of got our first example in that with uh, Ashton Cozart decommitting from the Sooners uh, going to Oregon shortly after a, uh, a visit to Eugene Jameson what happened behind here is this just a is this a Vittables like drop them thing is this an NIL poaching thing what what what, what happened
1: this is all money. It's all business. Um, but I'm really disappointed I didn't get to see Ashton Kozart play a little bit of a Johnny Gigolo role here. I wanted to see if he could go around and uh, stay, like, committed in his terms with OU, um, but not have it be honored by Brent Venables and crew. Because we kind of saw you know, with Gentry Williams, whenever Brent Venables came on as the coach, Gentry Williams still wasn't, you know – committed i mean at the time he was committed but he was taking other visits so he was doing a little bit of gigolo work and um Brent Venables didn't say like hey you have to take this like commitment away from your 247 account and you know publicly decommit he just didn't take the decommitment i mean take, take his commitment publicly in terms of the class. So it's very interesting to see how quickly Ashton Cozart flipped over to Oregon, how everything really materialized because there had to be some NIL poaching
0: here. Yeah. Typical corporate consumerist uh, college football out here taking our recruits. Ty, how do you feel about it? Yeah. I don't
2: necessarily know if we can straight up say that this was 100% NIL. I mean, Oregon is known to recruit well. They're, you know, Nike's number one favorite boy. They are tremendous facilities. I think a really cool area. A lot, some people would disagree based on their sort of area preferences. It's a good school. And they've just traditionally always recruited well. So who knows? You know, it's it, it's easy to blame the, the boogeyman, the buzzword. And I'm not saying that's what Jameson's doing. But there's definitely a lot more to to, uh, you know, consider with things. And and there's also the the possibility that we're seeing a situation where, like we talked about, uh, Venables is enforcing this, you know, once you're committed, you're committed to OU. Not necessarily in this case, but we could see in the future, uh, if we stick with this policy, cases where people will be committed to OU, decommit, and then maybe try to come crawling back i guess we'll see how that's handled when it when it occurs i believe it inevitably will but i think there's there's a lot more to the stuff you know and OU is bigger than than one d commit so
1: yeah but here's here's my thought process and why i really strongly think it's nil um these kids are constantly getting fielded offers in terms of recruiting yes once you're a commit to oklahoma you shut everything down and you're not supposed to you know go on any other visits but absolutely, they're getting constant messages and offers pretty much from other coaches. And who knows if they're still boosters doing that, getting them NIL deals to say like, hey, I understand that you're fully committed to OU, but if you want to come take a visit at Oregon, this is what we can offer you. And that's probably why it materialized so quickly, um, because he was talking about after he scheduled this visit to Oregon. And people, OU fans, were kind of freaking out because like, okay, that means he's taking a visit. That means he's not a commit to OU anymore. And he was saying, like, this is an extremely unique position to be in as a young man growing up that I'm going to have to listen to all offers and treat this like a business. And I have nothing against him for that. Orkin probably came up and gave him a better offer. And like he said in his commitment um, letter, he is from the Northwest. I don't know how much I buy into saying, like, you know, it was a dream for me to always play up here in the Northwest because he loved OU even during the Lincoln-Riley times. He was going to commit that Sunday um, that Lincoln-Riley res- uh, moved over and become USC's head coach. So I, I think it's just all about these kids are constantly getting offers. And he finally w- liked one that he saw enough to where he doesn't really even need to do um, a visit. He just had to do that because he was about to commit and take this NIL offer. Yeah, sure. I,
0: I will say, yeah, shout out to Huber in the comments, let the kids be kids. Uh, not going to post the second one up here, but I love it. My thing is, my thing is Nike, it's not just pure <laughs> Nike in Oregon. It's not just pure NIL though. I, I feel like they're a very unique opportunity. Similar is like, kind of like what Stanford would do where they're like, you can get a really good degree here. You can you know, get a good education. But what they do is like, from what I've heard, I, I believe Kayvon Thibodeau talked about this uh, in some of his pre-draft stuff, is that Oregon will um, will provide uh, internship opportunities with Nike. Rosie's getting all upset, my dog over here, uh, about the NIL. But they'll they'll provide internship uh, opportunities as well. So it goes deeper than just throwing them money. It's giving them opportunities. And at the end of the day, kind of can't hate on them for that because that is something that can really, really help. For sure.
2: Yeah. And it's, I, I think I have, mm, I lost my, so I, one quick point before I dive into replying to what Bobby just said, ultimately you don't want people on your team that aren't fully committed to your program. And and you run the risk of when you're a really good recruiter of getting people to agree to, to go on your team that aren't committed. And in really one of the most shiny examples for OU fans that should come to mind is the Marcus Dupree saga uh, with Barry Switzer. You know, he was highly touted recruit and just never was really clicking with the OU system and just got recruited through, you know, whatever means we were using for recruiting back then and and ended up showing up and it just didn't work out. So there is an issue to consider, you know, with guys. Obviously, you always want the, the biggest name people, but sometimes or or the flashiest, you know, brightest shining stars, but sometimes, you know, the best guy, if he's not committed to your thing is, is not great. Uh, it, Briefly to, to reply to what Bobby said, I agree that the NIL thing is, is deeper and, and things like that, you know, like the Oregon system of saying, Hey, we can provide you or not guarantee, but nudge certain opportunities in your favor is definitely a, an important thing and, and a big factor. And that's something that, I think athletes are a lot smarter nowadays in planning for their future, which is ultimately a, a good thing for absolutely everyone. And I think it is a, a, a good thing. And, you know, I hope more people do it. I, I can't necessarily knock that at all. Cause guys are, are starting to wise up nowadays to the fact that even if they do make it to the league, you know, there's only one Tom Brady, most, most league careers are not going to last anywhere near, uh, you know, any significant amount of time, really. And, and, in terms of using the word career. And even if you reach the pinnacle, you're still going to have to plan for afterwards. So I really, I respect uh, that angle of things because just throwing money at people is, is one thing doesn't necessarily solve the issue, but I I am fully on board with the teach a man to fish strategy, if you will.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, not only that, but like, think about a football career. Like, what would you consider a good NFL career? What, 10 years, I think, average-wise?
2: I, I would was... say Tom Brady is the average.
0: That's <laughs> very good. I think
1: I think any contract after your rookie contract is a good career as yeah. an NFL. Because... I, I think statistically,
0: yeah, that's far above average.
1: So like because
0: a good six years, seven years?
1: The NFL, you know, you play, you have 11 starters on defense, 11 starters on offense, then you have special teams, position players. And you know how many players get onto a roster? Was it like 53? Is that right? I think that's the, the number that's in the NFL. So, like, yeah. it's pretty significant, you know, to make an NFL roster and keep it up. So, if you get a rookie contract and you sign a second contract, in the league, that's a very big-time thing. You know, it's a lot harder to stay on a team and stay consistent in the NFL than some other professional sports. So, yeah, I, I get that. But it, it makes me pose, like, a thought in my in my head, like, what is the correct way to where we could stop this poaching in the, in terms of recruiting, because it shouldn't all, all be about like, okay, you want uh, this dollar amount, then come to my school. Um, Should NIL deals be weighted, like wait to, you know, be negotiated until they've already enrolled at that school? You know, could you say these are parameters of what we could offer, but if there's any like specifics or contracts that are signed, could that be a violation? Is Would that be like some kind of compromise here? Because to be honest with you, um, this NIL like deals and contracts and everything, um, this early in, uh, in recruitment is pretty tough in terms of trying to get a class together.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, let's be honest, like it's college football recruiting. It's always been a Wild West situation. It, to some varying degrees, um, obviously some people cheated more than others, but um, it, it for me it's 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 the it's the poaching aspect of like actual players, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I, I have less of an issue when it when it becomes a recruiting chip. Um, obviously, it can get frustrating. You can look at the Texas AM and situation as well, but um, I, I think it has to be like a situation that you earn while you're at that school. I fully agree with that um, because. The fact is having having an IL opportunities offered to other players, whether it be in the recruitment stage or in the uh, transfer portal stage or the most disturbingly in a situation where you're just on a roster and not even in the portal, that is that that's where it gets bad. I'm all for guys earning their opportunities. I'm all for guys getting their opportunities. But when colleges are leveraging it against each other, it just creates a situation like, like we're going to have a bubble here, like where – the, the whole thing burst, and just that's just too much money. Um,
1: I agree. It well. Yeah, it is a bubble. I like when are the another thought I had like about a week ago, and I should have said it on the last pod. And Ty, I absolutely want your thought on here because I feel like this would be interesting for you. You know, all this money is getting pulled into this recruiting, and we're really like trying to get you know this poaching and. These people are just throwing crazy amounts of money like Texas A and m recruits. When's that money gonna dry up? When is that money that we're sending to those recruits gonna get taken away from those over those like dues that you would give in general as a booster to the athletic department? Is this overall going to kill some athletic departments who are trying to keep up with recruiting and they don't have enough money after they've paid their star recruits to entice them to come over?
2: So I think, I think the, the key thing that you mentioned there is yeah, the fact that, that you believe that it's a bubble. And I think, I think it is to some extent because I, I don't think there's ever going to be a situation where the money runs out. But with college football's system of the NIL, uh, again, NIL being sponsorships that are not necessarily linked to the school, but then also donor money. There are so many moving parts in that system. It is not the NFL where you have one team, one front office, and you know maybe one overactive owner in some cases that have their hands in the pot. You know, in the NFL you get what? like a, a three moving parts at most if you look at owner and then maybe a coach that's not in line with the front office and, and you have those three people that, are trying to figure out these rosters I think with college I, I constantly use the term that it's this pendulum and we've just let it go and it's swinging far to one side of course but as these because you know most of these big name college people a lot of them aren't going to pan out that's just a matter of fact uh, you know we wish the best for all of them but that's just a fact and I think at a lot of these schools where you have a lot of donors that are very excited to start to throw money at things, when people start to not pan out and they start to realize that it's not a throw money at and fix it problem, I think the schools are gonna see that they're having less opportunity. So I think right now it's it's way too soon to say. I, I would argue that it's almost uh not trying to, you know, placate you specifically, Jamison, but to use medical terms, you know, we've just started this course of treatment. And I don't think it would be right to after one season or even three, maybe even four seasons to to make a decision on this. I love the the sort of openness of it. I think it's a very interesting ecosystem, but we have to let that ecosystem develop. We can't, you know, immediately start shopping at, at the pendulum. There is some really interesting things. and And, you know, I'll cut myself short. I'm going kind of long. But I think one of the big things that the NCAA or maybe even the conferences could do to maintain some semblance of this being a college thing is you could maybe tie transfers to actual school windows. So for example, if I'm a student at, you know, OU for for example, uh, and I want to go to a different school, there are enrollment windows and transfer windows that are open to regular course taking students. Maybe we could tie, you know, not necessarily enroll, but you have to actively be taking classes or something. And then that would certainly, you know, cut down the windows that are open for these transfers and I think there that's are a lot of to to maintain, and well, I know that there are in, in college as well, but we're seeing a lot. And you know, the I think the recruit thing is a very different discussion than the active player thing, and and all sorts of layers to that conversation.
0: Yeah, and I I, I agree. I think it will autocorrect. correct. And I trap house boobin on our YouTube comment said free enterprise are always auto I agree. The, the the bubble will happen. But what I worry about and what I've seen concerns about, and, you know, um, I believe Red Dirt Sport on Twitter was the one saying this, um, what I'm concerned about is, you know, college, college football is the anchor of any athletic program, right? So that's where all the money comes from. You could, hell, you could be Kansas. It's still probably mostly college football. Um, just it, the, amount, the amount of TV money, all of that, it funds it. So what that does is it funds all the other sports. So what's going to have to probably happen at some point is these smaller programs who can't, who want to keep up, who don't want to fall into irre- irrelevancy, they're, they're probably going to have to start cutting some Olympic sports. You know, uh, would you rather, if you're asking Joe, Joe Schmo, OU fan, would you rather stay competitive or cut the rowing team? I think they would invest in the, you know, in the football team and cut, cut rowing, cut all that. Because in some ways, a lot of those other sports are kind of, I don't want to call them philanthropies, but you know, they're not making any money. So
2: oh at, at some point,
0: if we oh really goodness. go into Here we go. a money situation, <laughs> they might end up cutting, cutting that off.
1: Yeah. That, no, that, I, that, that is a, that's a huge problem. It really is. And that's, I just, I just think that people are going to continue to try pay more and more right now, like in this bubble, because it's a competition right now, you know, say for example, if we're competing for a recruit with Texas A&M, it's going to be a legitimate bidding war for a guy. And that bidding war is going to like, you know, for example, like David Stone, defensive lineman, five-star guy that we're we're, we're battling with. If it turns into a bidding war between both of our donors, like what happens, you know, like, do, does Texas A and M like overpay for a guy? And that donor that just paid all that money, is he going to continue to pay that same annual fee that he was paying Texas A and M? Does he have that kind of money to blow? That's that's a big thing moving forward that I really want to see. Um, and there's going to be repercussions. I just don't know if it's going to be macro or micro.
2: I I think a big, I think a big thing is, it's I think Bobby brought up a, a very interesting point because obviously you have you know, a, there's a legal discussion to be had there uh, in terms of uh, women's sports specifically and the football teams just because of the size of, of football teams. So I, I think, Bobby, there's there's so many layers to, to what you just brought up. I actually have never thought of that before, and it's super, super interesting because you could even see a situation where football teams are becoming smaller and having less personnel uh, to facilitate the cutting of, of other sports that have to legally be maintained. Uh, I think it's it's known by anyone that regularly listens to the podcast, and I don't want this to come off as anti-college football, but college football at this point is not university athletics. I mean, it's not it, even, it, so I, I think OU men's soccer is a good example for anyone familiar with, with OU. Is, it's a club sport at OU, so it's sort of a, a cut above IMs. Well, it is a cut above IMs. Uh, but it's not a full-on university, you know, level scholarship sport, and I think that's sort of the, kind of the sweet spot for college sports because it's still accessible to regular students that maybe want to play and have a background. Obviously, you're not just going to go unless you're a super athlete and and walk onto the team, but it's not a a pro sport, you know, layered in this sort of disguise and and money making scheme by the universities. So, I, I don't necessarily know if it's a bad thing that more sports become uh, sort of club sports or, or I things. Cause ultimately then you're making sports uh, where you're actually getting to play meaningful games, more accessible to the actual students, which is kind of the, uh, the meaning of, of college sports originally, not saying that the athletes aren't, you know, actual students. I, I guess they are uh, to, to some extent, but you know, there is a, there's a lot more, there's a lot more uh, discussions to be had. I think Bobby, you brought up a very, very interesting point there.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know if the answer is to kind of send some of those smaller sports to the Stone Age in terms of, you know, the organization structure. Because if you make them all club sports, then they don't have the same you know support money wise in the NCAA. They can't travel as much. It becomes smaller, more regionalized uh, instead of like this, you know, what it, what it is today. You know, I, I, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see how it pans out. But well, you know, you know maybe that's kind of a fear. Yeah, and maybe
2: that's if you're talking about you know really getting down to to the bottom the money line. Maybe that is the future. You know, even keeping them at the NCAA level, does you know, OU insert you know non-revenue sport here necessarily need to be traveling to West Virginia for example to to play games? Uh, that's that's certainly a debate that, like you said, a lot of athletic departments are going to have to start having soon, even with these astronomical. Uh, you know, TV and revenue sharing deals that we're starting to see?
0: I I think eventually the answer is just succession. It's going to, college football is going to secede from, you know, that's just going to secede from the NCAA. They're going to operate at a a totally different level. Um, I think that's what we're all trending towards. I, I, I really do think that's the case. And, you know, it's that would be the death of, you know, college football as we know it, of, you know, well, Let's yeah. be honest, there's been a bit of a mirror about amateurism with college football specifically, but uh, at that point, we've just completely stripped it bare and we're just honest with it.
1: Which The you know, exact,
0: point. The exact
1: point I was just about to say, Bobby, um, because if college football, in terms of money that's being thrown around right now, in terms of NIL and how much they're earning – um, it's turning away from an amateurism to a professionalism. That's completely fine. I'm all aboard the professionalism. Let's get these kids paid as much as possible. But when it comes in terms of keeping an amateurism and keeping things fair in a level level field between other sports, you know, when we start talking about title nine and getting into all that, that's where college football can't keep, you know, their professionalism. I can go get what I want because I earned it and I get more eyeballs on me, um, versus, you know, screw the, you know, the rowing team, for example, like you said, so I, I just think they're just going to eventually
0: have to move on and the revenues are going to be different and separate. The biggest loser in all of this for OU is the uh, art museum, because now the art museum, which is completely funded by OU football. Uh, but let me just say this. It's probably not going to be funded by OU football anymore. That, those funds will probably go elsewhere.
1: I did not know that. That is interesting.
0: Yeah. It, and that's the thing about OU athletics or OU football specifically, is it's such a self-sustaining beast. It does not. It it pays for itself, but it pays for the art, the art museum. So first thing to go is that that weird large griffin lady outside of the art. No, museum.
1: no, that is not going to get taken away. We, now, there is no hey, way. Man.
0: What what, what do we are we like paying? Are we on lease with
1: the griffin lady with the big honkas? Like like that's <laughs> legitimately like is it not already bought? What are we going to do? We're going to have to sell it to stay afloat. It, like you're, you're going to get a
0: garage sale. Cover. <laughs> Red Vittables didn't want to sell the sell the, is the it, large. The is lock. it
2: fungible, or could we just screenshot it? Oh okay, no, that's a, that's the problem. Is it's too fungible.
1: Oh All of our give gone. Um,
2: give, <laughs> give, Ty,
1: give Ty give the you know the info to their social media accounts already, so he can put up the poll of Would you rather have Griffin Lady with the big honkas or Ashton Cozart on your football team? Let let the people decide.
2: Well, that's something we can't we can't bargain with something we don't have. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm.
1: I'm we, we could have used a little bit of extra money to get ashton Cozart over because i guarantee if we would sell that you know that whatever sculpture that we would have plenty of money to get him away from oregon
0: at least all the, the dumb thing outside of gaylord that that statue sucks
1: <laughs> is that the one is that the one that uh is like the the bull on the the wagon yeah, or the whatever
0: meeting the little schooner it's so bad <laughs> it's so bad
2: yeah, oh, man. Cool. I, it was, if I 100% knew the facts from memory, I'd have a great bit about the, uh, about the artist uh, of that sculpture. I don't recall the facts from memory, so I don't necessarily want to say it, but I, I do want people to Google the, uh, the artist of that statue and what they may or may not have done because I don't necessarily recall the facts uh, involving a firearm and a puppy uh, because they thought it was an art project.
0: Yeah, no. He, he, uh, shot, he shot a dog and then was like, it's art. It
2: yeah, so is not hy- hypothetically, yeah, we didn't say that because legally we don't necessarily know if that was proven or what not, but uh, yeah, not a good person. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, the real winners here are the fans that start to realize that when it comes to college football, even down to like the D3 or Juco level, it's so tainted by by money And, you know, boosters and bending the rules and everything else. And the real winners are the fans. And I encourage all fans of the Schooner Pod uh, to, to realize this. The real winners are the fans that realize that there is one bastion of college football left where the players are legitimate students meeting the entry standards, going to classes more or less on their own and playing the sport out of passion for the sport. And that is service academy football. I encourage everyone to pick one of the three teams. Coast Guard doesn't count, uh, and cheer for them. If you want true amateurism, college football. Interestingly enough, for forever, uh, and now still, they're the only players that are allowed to be paid a salary by their school. So they, technically, they've been the only ones paying players above board for a long time, uh, with their exemptions. And now they could they could do nils, I guess, but they're all also making a salary but somehow that keeps them amateur. So,
0: Does that mean the U.S. government was technically the first NIL collective?
2: Yeah, I guess you could make that argument is as, as because of an indentured servitude contract. Uh, the U.S. government had an NIL deal for, well, since forever.
0: It's the most traditional thing in college football. Which I if think. you
2: dig back, yeah, that's the big scandal yet to be unveiled. If you dig back to uh, the olden days when Army uh, and Navy were relevant, uh, athletically and winning Heisman's and national championships, it's just because they were the only ones allowed to pay players.
0: Wow, we've really broke something here, guys. Um, I know we said 25 minute pod, we're at 26, but we. I, I kind of want to mention Jordan Addison to USC. Tech, honestly, mm-hmm. probably better than if he went to Texas. Lincoln Riley still doesn't know what an offensive line or a defensive line is, so that's great. Nobody tell him, please. Uh, but the way he got tra- he got recruited there a little unsavory, kind of exactly the same way that he got uh, Caleb Williams from how it seems. Jameson, do you think there's a foul play here?
1: I don't know what the deal is where USC is about to get a guy. Everyone knows he's a strong favorite for him. And then all of a sudden it comes out like another team is a favorite to land him, a la Wisconsin, you know, with Caleb. And this whole Texas thing, it makes you think like, there's probably some very powerful people with representatives along these kids saying, like, hey, I know you really want to go to USC, and they probably have a nice little offer for you that you just got um, attracted away from Pittsburgh for. But let's keep playing this game. You've got the leverage here. You know, it's came out that you want to go to USC. And if you end up not going there, that's going to look really bad on Lincoln Riley. Let's throw Texas's hat in the ring because they got a lot of money. And I guarantee you, they can bid up USC. And that's probably what happened because there were some people coming out saying, like, that Texas is about to sign Jordan Addison. And that was really surprising, but it just didn't seem right because we had seen so much in the past that USC kind of just, you know, they go after strong, I forgot, and all of a sudden they go quiet and then they land him in the end. I guarantee you, there's Texas was just a negotiating pin between USC and he probably got a couple of extra thousands of whatever dollars for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it was probably just a, I'm with you. I think it's a negotiating piece. Ty, your thoughts. I, yeah,
2: I, I, I don't know anything about this guy. So not him specifically, but just anyone, I, I don't necessarily know. Cash. I don't necessarily know if a lot of these guys are, you know, at the level where they're making these you know, strategic decisions of of plotting different athletic departments against each other. I I think it's, you know, inherently everyone kind of understands that. And there's there's some of it. But I I think it may just be a matter of of, uh, you know, school A makes its decision, gets the deal all but done and has no reason to discuss it anymore. And and it kind of dies down and then school B throws a a Hail Mary out to try to, uh, you know, poach you know the deal that's already done and then it ends up being that the deal that was already done is the one that ends up occurring uh obviously there's a lot more dirtiness to it but i i think you know sometimes i, I think there's an actual term for for sort of a fallacy of of overestimating uh, things or, or discounting the the role of chance uh or just you know happen sense but it it's super i i wish you know hopefully at some point in in the near future uh, we get some sort of curtain peeled back you know whether it's a guy making his own YouTube page and, and sort of detailing everything or or some investigative journalism uh, by someone in the fake news media that that has the funding to to do that journalism but I it, there's some super interesting things going on uh, behind the curtain for sure
0: yeah no no for sure it's gonna be interesting to see how it all shakes out and whatnot so um yeah I don't know But like, but like you said earlier, it's a pendulum and, uh, I don't know where it's going to swing next, but we'll, we'll see. So, um, yeah, well guys, I think this was a really good conversation on, you know, NIL and you know what happened with Cozart and everything. Um, but I think we're, I think we're pretty good here. What do you, anything else before we go, Jameson?
1: No, that's, that's really it. Um, just got to keep watching on recruiting moving forward. Um. Hopefully we can kind of get some more guys in the boat that were big time OU leads, but you know, losing Cozart was a big hurt because uh, he was one of the guys that's been an OU fan for this recruiting class for a long time. So it hurts. It really does. So, um, what's, what once was a very stellar, um, wide receiver class in 2023 is looking a little bit thin, but I'm sure things will end up a little bit better. Once the
0: season starts. Yeah. It's all, um, it's all a work in progress for sure. Ty, anything before you go?
2: Yeah, uh, real quick, it's important to mention the Schooner pod is 100% uh, pro Nick Saban pod because he's never done anything wrong and never will. And again, uh, he has never done anything wrong. And AM only gets good recruits because they pay for them. Uh, we're 100% anti AM pod, uh, which I would like to get out there. I know we have some AM fans, but uh, unfortunately, we're an anti AM pod because Jimbo Fisher is a garbage head coach and just objectively a bad person i can tell because he would go after a uh, noted stellar all around good person nick Saban.
0: okay well yeah no um i'm sure our AM listeners are going to love that one that's going to go great uh but yeah no i i, I i'm i'm actually kind of team nick here even though we all know he's uh the, the, this the, the beef is just a pot calling the kettle black thing situa- situation that they're they're both they're both wrong so I don't know. Just if you're Jimbo, just admit it. We know what you're doing. It's not against the rules. Like you said, it's not against the rules. You're not cheating. So just be honest about what you're doing. Shut, when, shut yeah, up.
2: when you get a, not even accused, because the Saban quote was taken out of context, I believe, if you watch the full interview. But when someone says that you did something and your immediate response is, "Uh, well, so-and-so probably did something way worse doesn't necessarily you know speak towards your your innocence in that case
0: what about ism everyone's favorite counter argument gotta love it gotta love it so all right james and ty thank you for coming on today always always a pleasure and uh listeners thank you so much for listening especially with uh, probably what i just realized was uh, some technical issues on my end um i guess i was not using the blue snowball the whole time until like a couple minutes ago so i was just holding this microphone in my hand like an idiot not even using it so i we're sorry about that uh we're, we're, you know we try to we try to do our best but when this thing gets mobile it gets weird so you know anyways uh Well, if you liked it, uh, hit hit us with a five-star review, I guess. Uh, If you didn't, that's okay. Um, And keep listening. Uh, Don't review us. (laughs) This thing's going to get interesting. So, All right. Let's just close this thing out then. Y'all have a good week. Boomer sooner. And uh, yeah.